When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. You have given everything to me. What can I do for you? You have given me eyes to see. What can I do for you? This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining me this week to talk about what can I do for you from 1980s Saved is fellow Bobcat, Andrew Schroeder. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk about this song. I always feel like Saved is kind of like an underrated record. I mean, we'll get into all that. Uh, it's got its sort of a bit of a checkered history, but it, it was one of the ones that I kind of really tapped into when I was getting into Bob for the first time, even though it's so you know, steeped in the religiosity uh, in more ways than one. Again, but we'll get to all that. Uh, but first, I got to ask Andrew, how'd you become a fan of Bob? Well, I, I didn't listen to a whole lot of popular music as a kid. My parents didn't, my parents liked to listen to uh, classical music and uh, choir music and church music. So that's, that's kind of what I was, <laughs> was used to. And, uh, you know, when I get a little older, I, I really liked discovering new music. I like listening to discovering jazz and, uh, you know, rock music and, you know, rebelling against my parents a little bit. And uh, of course, in the uh, mid '90s, I'm sure lots of people have this experience where they uh, they sign up for the Columbia Record Club, and uh, sure, yeah, it, it when you get down to the the 14th to the 15th pick of the free ones, it, the pickings get a little slim <laughs> of what you're what you're wanting and what you, what you're looking for. And uh, I saw MTV Unplugged on there by by Bob, and I I hadn't listen to bob hardly at all i think i'd i'd probably the first time i heard bob at all was probably from the forrest gump soundtrack that one of my kids one of my friend's parents had in their car and it didn't impress me all that much still doesn't but uh i it intrigued me enough to buy mtv unplugged and i kind of liked it his voice was kind of weird but that was okay and then I sought out greatest hits later and uh, heard Subterranean Homestick Blues for the first time and was just absolutely floored. And, uh, you know, so I, I spent the last the next few years uh, scooping up as many albums as I could get, trying to find another song that sounded just like Subterranean Homestick Blues. And of course, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, none of them really did. But uh they all grew on me as I, as I listened to them. <laughs> so what was it about Subterranean Homesick Blues that was so like that? That was the one that really hit you between the eyes. It was just so cool and it had so much swagger to it. And the language, uh, you know, Bob's use of language is obviously second to none. And uh, it, it just sounded like nothing I'd ever heard as a, as a kid. And, you know, it, it just made me want to, talk in a different way and think about things in a different way. And I'm not even sure I know exactly what it means, but the phrase, the pump don't work because the vandals took the handle. <laughs> I was just that that's just the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Do you recall uh, how long after you heard the song that you saw the video? Uh, I don't, it was probably 
a year or two. You know, this is again the mid '90s. The internet access was spotty at best. Sure, sure. Uh, it, it was a while before I I saw it, but uh, yeah. Because I I can remember, you know, I had not seen the video for for the song until I had already seen some of the imitators. You know, and so I didn't okay. know that the imitators were imitating anything. There's an there's an in excess video of the mediate song where they do the words on the cards, and I oh uh, that's right, I forgot you know? all about that. Yeah, yep. but I saw that first, and I didn't know, and then I saw subterranean. I went, oh, okay. I was like, okay, so it's one of those things where it's the cards had been so much immersed into the culture that there were references to it that you didn't even know there were references unless you knew the video itself. So sure, uh, just as an aside. A couple months ago, they released that new audio video of of that song, and yeah. I was expecting uh, a newly recorded Bob at eighty one version of that, and mm-hmm. I was so disappointed to see <laughs> that video. And that and that's all it was. They didn't redo the song at all. I don't know how you felt about it. Yeah, that was. Uh, I would say the, the the hype machine got a little over their skis on that one. For sure, uh, because For they sure. have they have to know. I would think that. I mean, look, they're they're a bunch of marketers. They don't really care. They just want the clicks. They they don't care that the click is followed by somebody going, "What the heck was that?" Um, but they also have to know that if you're like you're marketing a new version of a song, right? Well, who only nobody cares about that except his diehard fans. The average person right. doesn't care. So you have to know that the that the the diehards like us are expecting a new record. Like that's, what's going to get us excited and knowing they knew from the beginning, they didn't have that. It it was to me a, a lot of bait and switch, you know, to kind of be like, Ooh, a new video, a new version. And you're like new. Ver-. Yeah. Like you just said, can you imagine 81 year old Bob Dylan singing oh, subterranean? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that going to sound like? You know, uh, he would have then, to take a couple breaths to get to, to get all the words. I, in, I think so, you know. And then you get it, and it's like, oh, this is like an art project, you know? Great, okay, <laughs> okay, you know, this is like, ooh, when 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 he gets to the word braille, they show it in braille. <laughs> wow, yeah, how'd you guys ever think of that? So, yeah, I was a bit, uh, I was a bit underwhelmed uh, by that. I, I will say so. Uh, <laughs> so, so you got greatest hits volume one, and then you just started gobbling up uh, all the records at that point. And when yeah, you got, it, when you got it the, goes down from there. When you got the unplugged, was were they doing CDs at that point? Was that part of the record and tape club? Was that CD? yeah, yes, yeah, so okay, it was the CDs. Yep. They had moved on off of cassettes at that point. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> have you ever seen Bob live? I have. I've seen him. 21 times Whoa. yeah so uh, most of them you know it obviously they're all from 2000 to i think 2019 was the last time i saw them uh a good majority of those uh were when i was a single man and you know a wife and kids come along it's you, you're not quite as eager to travel four or five hours to go see them as you were when i was 25 or so so but uh yes <laughs> so do you i mean obviously you're enjoying it uh if oh yeah 21 times 90 99 to 04 is where it's at for me as far as his whole career live wise go that's those are still the the uh songs i want to listen to the most the one the live versions of his concerts he did from those that time period the band was great uh his voice was going through this it was really strong and then it got really rough, but he figured out how to make the rough sounding voice work. 
I don't know how you feel about that time period, but that's my favorite. Yeah, I, I, it's yes. I mean, I've loved every iteration of his voice, but sometimes he goes for the more shreddy, froggy thing more than others. You know, uh, <laughs> it all depends on the the sound. I guess he's trying to achieve. Have you ever seen him uh, when you've laughed? Have you ever been like up close? You get like see him really closely, or is he always kind of the sort of my, mid figure speck in the background? I have seen him uh, up co- close, probably maybe eight to 10 times out of that between general admission. And uh, my wife surprised me with a ticket one time and I knew it was a good seat, but I didn't know how good it was. And this was in 2012. I I walk up to my my seat, I read the ticket and I'm literally front row center. Whoa. Lord. Yeah. It was quite the, quite the experience. It really is something special to be able to see him. He's so undemonstrative that, you know, being able to see him up close like that really does, I'd say, give you an extra special little feeling because you're, 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 you're almost seeing him try and resist having an emotion, you know, <laughs> like he seems yeah. so perfectly stone faced for, you know, but, but when you're that close, so that's, that's, that's amazing. I've had a couple opportunities to be very close to him and it is, again, it's just, you're like, there he is. You know, that's the guy right there. Yep. <laughs> you know? No, you said just the way he, just the way he walks around and moves. It's almost like he's got a little orb around him. It's just like he's just that little strut he's got as he walks. He's where he's kind of half stumbling, half walking. It's yeah, it's you, you kind of have to remind yourself that's the guy right there. Yep. <laughs> the, yeah. Now you said your wife got you the ticket. Does she go with you to these shows? Have you is she part of the 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 gospel of Bob, or is she just is like here's your ticket, go have fun? Absolutely not. So we in uh, 2007 uh, we went to a uh, concert in Northern Michigan, which is pretty scenic, and we it, we were going to make a, a long weekend out of it and see the concert and uh, spend time up up there. And uh, it was raining, and I don't know how many shows from 2007 you've listened to, but it's not exactly the highlight of his career. And uh, she was not impressed, to say the least. Oh. So that was the last concert we've seen <laughs> together. Well, you know, she gave it a shot. She did. You know, she gave she it gave a shot. It a, that's all you can ask for, really. Yep. She gave it a shot. You know, uh, yeah. My my fiance has now seen him twice both times with me and she's enjoyed both shows but obviously she's not a diehard like me uh, which is a good thing but uh at the, you know so like if she told me going forward now nah, you could just go I, I would be fine with that like you did your due diligence you sat there too now i think she would keep going but yeah you you want you want somebody to in your important in your life to go with you one time at least so maybe you can kind of like maybe put across what this means to you how important it is but i'd say after one they're, you know, it's fair for them to say, I'm out, have fun. <laughs> I've had buddies go with me and I'm always, I'm always very concerned about how the other person is enjoying themselves. And it kind of has an effect on whether I enjoy it or not. Sure. So if sure. it's, if somebody's not into it, I'm just, I just assume go by myself. I have no problems with that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Very, cool. <laughs> very, very cool. So, all right. Uh, let's talk about what can I do for you? As I said, it's from 1980s Saved. Um, what is your overall feeling about the, the you know, as they call it, the born again period? I mean, where, 
when you were getting into Bob, where did that come in? Was it, what, what, you know, were you like, wait, what is all this stuff? Do you, did you know that was coming? I mean, what was your, and what's your overall feeling about the music kind of from that period? So I, I kind of learned about his music, at, not in any kind of organized way. And I, I can't really say when I learned about the born again period, I, I knew it happened. Um, but it, it was probably, you know, four or five years into where I really kind of listened to them. And uh, they've grown on me. And I think Slow Train Coming is, uh, as the first album, I'm kind of, if I could go back and create a, an alternative reality, I would put Saved as the first album of the three. Because uh, you know, being a Christian, uh, hearing Slow Train Coming is just so angry. He's almost like <laughs> he still has that that rebel phase where he's it's us against them, and you know, kind of the thing with Positively Four Street, where if, if you don't agree with everything I'm saying about Jesus, then then I'm gonna kiss you off, and because this is where I'm at now, and if you're not on board with me, then take a hike whereas saved is just so much more joyful it's Hmm. it's what you would think it's the attitude you would think of someone who would be born again if they're if they truly believe that jesus is their savior why not be happy about it and show that joy in your in your music and in your singing Hmm. so uh, as much as i love uh slow train coming Saved is it for a much better album for me, especially if you take the live versions of the songs. Well, yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're going to talk about that uh, too, because I said there are some really great live versions of the song. That's really interesting that uh, from a Christian perspective that you feel like save would have been a better, do you think that it would have, you, when you say you, you wish it had been, you know, first again, kind of in your own, you know, alternate reality, do you think that's just your personal preference or do you think that the message he was trying to convey would have been you know, betterly better betterly did I just say that it would have been better shared with saved being the opening volley of songs absolutely and and just to start with even to start with what can I do for you is it's just the ultimate uh song of surrender you know it's this is this is where I'm at this is what God has done for me I'm going to tell that to the world so that, yeah, absolutely. We're, but it, what really happened is Slow Train Coming was the first song. Or no, Gotta Serve Somebody. Gotta Serve Somebody, song. yeah, yeah. And, you know, take a, song, take a song like Slow Train Coming, and it's talking about sheiks and talking about uh, oil, and it's just all kind of kind of angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it definitely has that. Uh, yeah, I agree. It has that kind of young Bob Dylan sneer, but with the the Jesus stuff, you know, layered the religiosity layered over it. I mean, got to serve somebody, and and yeah, slow train is especially a kind of angry song. So I, I can see what you're saying. Although I would imagine, you know, production wise, that that record is of course produced by the legendary Jerry Wexler, and it was sort of massaged for radio. Uh, you know, and, and so therefore it, the songs had a, a kind of patina to them that gave them a, a slightly radio friendly sound as opposed to saved, which was, I believe, Dylan's first record that was sort of an outright flop, like just 
didn't do any much business, didn't do much business, didn't get any awards, basically got criticized fairly heavily. And it was really, I, you know, I mean, I guess you could say that was self-portrait, probably maybe earns that distinction, but it was, you know, self-portrait is kind of this weird hodgepodge of things, but saved, I think it was like, is almost this first record that just kind of critically and commercially just didn't go anywhere. Uh, And it probably dented, uh, you know, at least for a while, sort of dented uh, his career for a little bit because, you know, Shot of Love came out and did even like less business. It took a little while to kind of regroup from that, at least on a, on a commercial front. So the, the saved record, um, I've always heard all this criticism that, of course, that record was recorded after the tour. Uh, and these songs had already been played live, which is the only time he's ever done that. And a lot of people have come and said that the saved record is very tired compared to the white hot versions you hear live. Now, when I got the saved record, I didn't know any of that. I just sort of took it for what it was. And as I've said on other episodes where we've discussed the born again songs, you know, I'm not Christian and I just transpose the feelings that he is putting across onto other things that, that I can relate to for these songs. And like you were saying, I mean, you know, some of these songs are pretty devout, you know, solid rock and saved. They're, they're, they're not, uh, they're not uh, soft-hearted. They're not wishy-washy. But especially a song like this, What Can I Do For You, does have a gentleness that, yeah, it doesn't really, you don't really hear on Slow Train Coming. Um, so why was it that you wanted to talk about like this one in particular? The performance of it, it you know, I, as I said earlier, Bob is a master wordsmith, and that's always been anybody that can turn a phrase is – somebody that's going to interest me a lot. And in, in Bob, you get the ultimate of that. But in a lot of the songs that you guys talk about on your show, sometimes I think your guests are very educated. And I wonder how you come up with some of the, uh, some of the extrapolations that you do like this, you can read into it in so many different ways. And I, I learned so much from listening to your show. Whereas this one, it's so simple. And mm-hmm. I think the performance of it is what really does it for me, which is different from, you know, Desolation Rose, my favorite Bob song. And, he, but I can't tell you the first thing about what he's, what he's trying to say there as a whole, <laughs> but it's still my, I, that's what I love about it is that I can't figure it out. And I keep searching for what, what he's trying to say. Whereas this one, it's so deceptively simple and there's no doubt what he's trying to say. And he puts his heart into it. Like, like, uh, like no other song of his I've heard. Hmm. Um, the singing on this one, I don't know if you ever try to sing along to it. Oh, all the time. Sure. It's, it's a hard song to sing along to if you're trying to sound anything like him (laughs) because he's, it's so passionate, but yet so, restrained at the same time you know it just kind of lets the lets the uh gospel singers do the high parts and get the, do the really low parts and he's just holding it all together uh and, and then obviously the the harmonica is out of this world that that some of the some of the best harmonica playing he's he's done in his career yeah it really is it's quite beautiful the way he sort of punctuates the song with the with those harmonica bursts. Um, I, you know, I read, I read the opening you know, verse and then the, 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 the song continues on. It says, pulled me out of bondage and you made me renewed inside, filled up a hunger that had always been denied, opened up a door 
no man can shut and you opened it up so wide and you've chosen me to be among the few. What can I do for you? Now, I will say, I already mentioned, I'm not, I don't consider myself a Christian in any way, really. And while I find a lot of great uh, heart in the in this material, that one line, um, you've chosen me to be among the few, um, which I think in the on here on Bob Dylan, it says you've chosen me to be among the few. I think, you know, I think in the album, he actually sings one of the few. Uh, maybe I'm mishearing it. I've always heard it as one of the few. That line always kind of grates on me a little bit because it, it, as far as I understand of how it works is that, you know, the idea is that you, if, if you're giving your life over to Christ, it's not something that it, that's the direction it goes in, not the other way, because there's a kind of like, I, I'm one of the chosen few. Well, you know, aren't you lucky? You know, you're one of the, you know, like uh, what, what luck that you just happen to be one of the chosen few. And of course, the original sleeve for this record featured a hand coming down and touching uh, other hands and sort of anointing them. And that, uh, I guess it was considered controversial or something. And it got replaced with a fairly pallid cover shot of him performing in a kind of a pointillism sort of thing. I don't know. I mean, am I wrong? I mean, is that what, how does that line read to you? Uh, uh, I can see why I've, I've actually read uh, Paul Williams essay about, uh, have you ever read that? It's yes. Called, uh, what Love happened? Paul Williams. Love uh, absolutely. He's, uh, he's one of the few authors that like he, he makes you excited to listen to the music. But, but anyways, so he, he mentioned how he changes one of the lyrics in, in the live uh, version to, but I sure did make it through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, there, there's a, I can see how someone could think where, look, look what I did. But I, I, I think if you, if you look into some of his other music and some, and his reading of Christianity, it's one of the tenets of Christianity is that you can't save yourself. It's that Jesus has done it for you. Mm-hmm. And so, Bob's kind of response to this is that maybe not everybody's going to accept that. Okay. But, okay. But I have, but I have, it's not that he doesn't want everybody. I don't think he'd be singing the songs if he didn't want other people to accept that the same thing that he did. Okay. I see what you're saying. So it's, it's not that Bob was one of the chosen few exactly. Uh, although he does say you've chosen me, but I mean, it's not, he's not saying I'm one of the special ones. It's, I was one of the people that opened up my heart to your message, which is open for everybody. Right. Okay. Right. All right. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I, all right. I, okay. I can, <laughs> I can accept that. That's good. Um, he continued- uh, just, just to go back to that real yeah. quick uh, in covenant woman, I've, I've often thought I, I used to think the same, same way as uh, when he said the line, uh, you must have loved me. Oh, so much to mm-hmm. send me someone as fine as you. When I was a single man, I thought, geez, maybe, maybe he doesn't love me as much as somebody else. But now that I'm happily married, obviously, I, I'm, I changed my tune on that. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> right. okay, all right. I'll just, I, guess, I guess I suck then. All right, yeah. That, right. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I kind of felt the same way, Andrew, when I heard that song because I was single. And I was like, oh, all right, I guess, all right, that's fine. 
<laughs> Perspective okay, well, is everything. It's sure. Oh, sure. Uh, well, I've said like like so many, you know, some of the great art is that it travels with you as you go through, as you get older, you know, it doesn't just remain in place and it changes over time. And you're like, oh, I hear this in a way I never heard it before. Um, I do love the backup singers. I do think they are, they add, I'm not, I've not always been the biggest fan of the Queens of Rhythm sound. You know, I love Bob's voice so much that I'm like, eh, I don't, you know, we don't need somebody else wailing over him necessarily, but they really do bring you know, a wonderful kind of community sound to it, especially on kind of the the middle verses where he says, you know, you've laid down your life for me. And then they sing kind of, what can I do for you? You have explained every mystery. What can I do for you? It does give the whole performance a kind of like midnight club, smoky feel sort of to me. Like I can sort of picture it being at night and him singing the song with the, with the, the backup singers kind of in like their own spotlight. So it, it really, there really is a, a great warmth here that uh, I would say, yeah, isn't present in necessarily some of the slow train songs because those are, again, as you said, kind of angry. So, yeah, I've, I've always liked um, this performance a lot, and I've always liked this song quite a bit, and it's placed in a nice spot on the record. Like, it's a kind of a nice, quiet, it's like a, like a drink of cool water in the middle of some of the more kind of like up-tempo histrionic numbers. Yeah, to go back to what you're saying about the, the fire, I, I always thought about this this song, like, Bob's singing is kind of like that that white hot fire in the middle, and then the the background singers are the are the gigantic flames that flare up from time to time. But that you know his voice is just so so passionate and restrained at the same time. It's it, it just floors me. Yeah, um, he continues on. Soon as a man is born, you know the sparks begin to fly. Which great, that's such a great turn of phrase to kind of you know, talk about when a man is born, it's like kind of the troubles already started. The minute you're born, the sparks begin to fly. He gets wise in his own eyes and he's made to believe a lie. Who would deliver him from the death he's bound to die? Well, you've done it all and there's no more anyone can pretend to do. What can I do for you? Now, in your mind, like what you said, this song to you is very, very simple. Um, what is the, again, to you, what's the, who would deliver him from the death he's bound to die? What, what does that, what does that mean exactly, at least in, in, in your eyes? Well, I, I think what he's saying is that when the sparks begin to fly, he, he's created something for himself. And he's made to believe a lie that, that what he's created for himself, you could look at it if he's speaking of it personally, his body of work, his family, his, his success, his wealth. All of that is what he has built up, and he's made to believe that that's enough for him. And then he gets wise in his own eyes. He says, "Look at look at me! Look what all I've done." Mm. And uh, you know, it, it reminds me of the line from uh, 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 from Infidels. He sees his reflection in a stagnant, stagnant pool. Stagnant pool. Yeah, license to kill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but and then he's found somebody who's delivered him from the death he's bound to die, which is Jesus. Hmm. So that that's the way I've always read that is that uh, you know somebody's walking along with with their with their backpack full of their their accomplishments and they're puffed up on their. <laughs> On, on their achievements and you know i've always thought as a christian there's there's two lies that uh 
people tell themselves is that one is that you don't need God because of all you've done or you're good enough or whatever the case may be, or that what you have done is just so bad that, that Jesus can't save you. So mm. I, I think, I think about that when I, whenever I hear he's made to believe a lie, he's believing one or two of those lies. Hmm. That, uh, that's interesting. That when you say that, that makes me think of the, the speech he gave at the 91 Grammys, which is, I know, a, 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 you know, he's sort of paraphrasing the Bible, which is the whole, um, you know, uh, a man can become so defiled that his own mother and father will abandon him. But if, if that happens, God will always believe in your own ability to mend your own ways. Uh, I still find that to be one of the most kind of beautiful things I've ever heard him say. Uh, and I, I find that to be really just quite a beautiful sentiment that no matter how bad things get, you can mend your own, you know, God will always believe in your ability to mend your own ways. And that it's, you know, it, it, you don't turn it over to God to fix. You have to fix it yourself, but God will believe. God knows you can do it. I actually uh, don't think that's from the Bible. I, I think that's oh, really? from a, a different Jewish text. Yeah. I, oh, I thought I thought I'd read that it was like paraphrasing something from the Bible, but uh, I could my, my, my dad might be uh, upset with me if if he tells me that it's from the Bible, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that speech uh, he says something so uh, inspiring in the middle of his uh, chaplain-esque joke. Yes. Uh, it's, be- it's, it's such prototypical Bob. <laughs> yes, it's Daddy still... said so many things. The man has perfect comic timing. For you got to sure. give Bob that, man. He knows how to just draw it out just enough. But, but all right, that's really interesting because I said of all the verses, that was always the one uh, that I always just kind of went, mm, I don't really know what he's getting at, but okay, it's fine. The song's working for me. It's fine. And again, I, I love the way he sings um, the way you know the sparks begin to fly, he is a kind of like this wonderful lilt in his voice. You know the sparks begin to fly, <laughs> like he really kind of like leaning into it. Uh, and then he says, "You have given all there is to give. You have given me life to live." And then the final verse: "I know all about poison. I know all about fiery darts. I don't care how rough the road is. Show me where it starts. Whatever pleases you, tell it to my heart. Well, I don't deserve it, but I sure did make it through." Now. I read in, I think it was Clinton Halen wrote about that. Apparently the early versions of this song, he sings, the the line is he sings, but I'm sure to make it through. And then by the time he gets to saved, he sings, I sure did make it through, which obviously is a big difference. You know, you know, he's kind of, he's, he's hoping he's going to make it through. And now he's saying he did. But the weird thing is I went back and I listened to a bunch of live versions and none of the live versions that I can find have him singing, I'm sure to make it through. And in fact, I've never heard that either. Yeah. Um, a, there's sure a version. Yeah. So. There's a version of it on the Trouble No More set, which he sings, I'm sure, I sure did make it through. And that's from November 27th, 1979, which is less than a couple of weeks after he debuted the song live. So it must have been um, incredibly early that he changed, you know, that he had those lines, that, that those words, and then he, and he changed it. Um, again, it sure does, you know, that one word change, sure to, to sure did. Uh, that's a big difference because, you know, once one is saying I'm at the start of this road, which he just mentions in the previous line, and then the other one is like, well, I've already kind of made it through the other side. By saying sure did make it through, when we know how early this is in his, in his you know, uh, born again phase, is that, I don't know, as, as a, as a, 
as a man of faith, is that is there like some hubris there to kind of say this early on he's already kind of come over the other side of it, or does that it doesn't read that way to you? Uh, I I've never thought about it that way, but uh, you know, it, it, what's the other line? Uh, you either got faith, you got unbelief. Right. There, <laughs> there ain't no, no neutral ground. ground. <laughs> so it, it, whether you did did make it through or you're you're going to make it through. If you have that kind of faith, it's really all the same. Okay. Um, now, uh, I mentioned the live performances. This has been performed 93 times in a very, very tight period of uh, time. Right? You know, tight period of time. He, he, he played it, started playing it at the Fox Warfield, which was the debut of these, these, uh, these Born Again shows where he was just playing the Born Again material. Started playing on November 1st, 1979. And then stopped playing it July 23rd of 1981. And that was it. It has never been, uh, you know, played since live. So obviously it was a song very specific to that period of time. Obviously, again, it predates um, the recording. The, you know, the, the save version, saved album came later. Uh, but uh, what do you think of some of the live versions? There's a couple, again, there's a couple on the Trouble No More set. And then there's a couple of bootlegs on YouTube. Uh, do you agree with the assessment that some of these live versions really kind of, you know, transcend what he ended up doing on the record? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I don't really listen to a ton of different versions of this mm-hmm. of the song because the one from Toronto from 1980, I mean, I, I don't think it can be topped. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've heard ones that are almost as good, but, I, I, you know, why listen to something that's almost good when you've got the last <laughs> one right there? there? You know, I've heard a lot. There's... Obviously, uh, being a Dylan fan as, as, as much as I am, I can find 10 different versions of Desolation Row I'd like to listen to. But this one, the, the, there's pretty much the, that one from Toronto and Haiti that's, that's the go-to for me. The harmonica solo in the middle of that is really beautiful. I mean, the, the amount of – I mean, as far as I know, he's self-taught on that thing, which is – I mean, he's had 50 years – at this well at that point he's only 30 uh but i mean he's had you know so many years to to play it obviously he's developed a lot of skill with it but like the tonal breath control that he uses uh in that in those harmonica bursts are really quite beautiful and you can almost hear especially on that that toronto version as you mentioned you can hear the crowd almost kind of get quiet you know like you you can hear some ambient noise of people clapping and you know cheering or whatever and then when he does that harmonica, so you can almost hear it like it gets really low. The people, I think the people are just like stunned a little bit, like, wow, you know, like, and think about the confidence he's got to have in these songs to do a residency at the Fox Warfield, which he was like 15 shows or something, a long, long set where he's just doing this material. Nothing from anything before, you know, 1978, basically. And, it's so funny. It's like you think about like to a Dylan fan, the idea of Bob, like if you had heard Bob's going to go on tour next year, everybody, and he's only going to play all new material that you've never heard. Most people would be like, where do I get my ticket? Like how much, you know, there is no top limit for how much what I'll pay for that. And yet, you know, he got a lot of negative reviews because people were like, what is all this Jesus material? But I think anybody that just appreciates good music can hear this and be like, this is just I mean, he's not a dilettante. He is in it all the way. And a lot of this material is incredibly powerful live. And I, I love there's, um, again, in the, uh, the, the, the version on the Trouble No More from November uh, 27th, 
he kind of really leans into the preachery thing because he gets to the part about um, fiery darts and he says, uh, I know about poison. I know all about them fiery darts. And there's something with the way he says, he's like, I know all about them fiery darts. <laughs> and he just sounds like he's totally sounds like this old timey preacher. And you can hear the one backup singer kind of like, almost like quote him. She's like, fiery dart. You know, like they're <laughs> really leading it. You could picture Bob like leaning over a pulpit, you know, just like ready to, bur- it's almost like uh, James Brown and the blues brothers, like, just ready to burst into song in any moment. So he was kind of having fun with it too, even though um, it's a very beautiful and, and powerful performance. Um, so it's a song that from the couple of versions I heard worked really well live. You know, it's not up tempo, but it really kind of, caught the audience in a in a in its spell that that fiery darts line that, that last verse it, it always sounded to me like a, a teenager trying to beg his parents to go to let him go off to war or something like that he's like he, he's like I, I know about about those poison i know all about the fiery darts i don't care how about the sign me up you know he's he's ready to go he's fired up so that that's the way I, I've always heard that, and yeah, that the live versions of it as, as the um, he's playing the harmonica and the the backup singers are are mimicking the volume of the harmonica is oh it gets me every time it's that's incredible. Yeah, um, I know again from reading a bunch of different books that right after Saved, uh, Bob brought Columbia records a fully produced and finished live album of the gospel shows. And it was going to be called, um, it was a uh, solid rock and, uh, they passed on it because saved had flopped and they were like, no, no, thank you. And as far as I know, I mean, I guessing I'm, you know, we, I don't know what was on that, what specific performances were on that record. Um, but, the fact that he kind of put it together himself and, and handed it to them and they said, no, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm going to assume that a lot of that material ended up on the trouble no more set, or at least some of it, but man, I would love to have known what performances he culled. Uh, I sure hope one of the versions of this song made it on there uh, because that would have been, you know, really amazing. And it's, it's such a darn shame that he has had so few kind of really great live albums. I mean, for a guy that's been so great live, I don't think he's really quite put across the great live album that sort of do him at this point. But man, I would love to have known what, what that might have sounded like. It's such a shame that Columbia Records was just not willing to put it out. Uh, meanwhile, somebody's listening to this, uh, putting out, coming up with their own compilation of what would be on that, <laughs> exactly. on that album. Oh man, could you, I mean, think about that. That would be a fun project to kind of put out to everybody and say, Hey, give me your list of 10 live performances to make up the solid rock out. I mean, you could pull together some completely amazing material and that's not even touching the shot of love stuff. You know, I mean, just think about all the stuff that we heard, like, you know, ain't going to go to hell for anybody or try cover down breakthrough. I mean, God, it would have been amazing. Again, it's, it, it's hard to imagine now Bob being Bob and the, the legendary status that he has that like Columbia records would literally turn down one of his records. (laughs) You're kind of like, what? Like, you you know, but if saved had not sold well, they could see them being like, well, people don't want more of this, Bob. Sorry. Do you Um, you imagine by the time he got around to recording it, he, he kind of got bored with the songs and and because he knowing what we know about Bob, 
he's already perfected, or maybe not perfected him, but he's already played him the way he wanted to play him. Mm-hmm. And knowing he had to put him on a, out on a record with the quality that he he liked in him that he wanted to give to Columbia, that you know, well here's here's this song that I already played again. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's not interested in it anymore. He wants to move on to something else. It's kind of interesting that he didn't just do that. Instead of skipping recording them in the studio, just put out the live album and just copyright it from there. Other artists have done that. I remember Jackson Brown did that. Uh, you know, he took a bunch of new songs out on the road and that's the record. Uh, I guess maybe Bob didn't, you know, maybe that this wasn't really something he really ended. He wanted to have studio versions, but if he was so happy with the live versions enough to put them on a live record, he would think, we'll just skip the studio record and just put out the live one. And those are the songs. Um, are there any, I mean, I don't think, I don't know if he did every song on saved live. I think some of them probably never got a live tryout. Are there any versions of the saved songs on the record that you feel like that's like, you've not heard a better version than that one? Uh, Covenant Woman, I don't think he's really perfected that one live mm-hmm. before. I, I tend to go to the the record version on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of them, I would say the live versions trump them. Uh, for sure, uh, for sure, Pressing On is like, is not even the same song uh, mm-hmm. on the record that it is, uh, again, from that Toronto show. I don't know if you remember that, that yes. version or not. Yes, and I love the, I love the studio version. We covered that with David Wilde. I love it's my favorite song on the record, but yeah, the live versions are are like a whole other thing. So yeah, he was really he again he was really bringing it. You know, he was really really bringing it. Um, and like I said, this I I really do love this record. I do feel like it's a, like kind of unfairly maligned, but I feel that about most Bob records that are not universally praised. I'm kind of like ah, oh, you know, come on, this is a bunch of great uh, great songs here. And like I said I do enjoy this as a nice kind of like cool down sort of song in the middle of, of all this other stuff going on. I like that. It's just kind of this nice mellow thing and it does convey the, 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 the feeling of, um, you know, wanting to give yourself over to this, to this being, um, you know, the, the idea of, of serving, do you get the sense that Bob is, that's, you know, that's what the music is. It's like, oh, this is how I'm serving you is by spreading the, the gospel through my music. Absolutely. I, I always thought of this as a, like his version of, uh, little drummer boy like the it, the instead of the drum he's got the harmonica hmm. uh so you know the the book of uh james i don't want to get all sunday school on you but the book of james basically talks about how if you're a christian and you have uh jesus in your heart that your good works will naturally flow from you your good works aren't what save you but your good works will naturally flow flow from you as a result of having Jesus in your heart. And to me that, that harmonica solo just is the, the thing that comes out and his singing is what comes out. Hmm. So. That's interesting. I, I'm perfectly fine with being Sunday schooled a little bit, because like I said, I don't remember that. I, I went to CCD as a kid uh, because I was, I was raised Catholic, but uh, that, that was a long time ago. And it's <laughs> a lot of water under the bridge, a lot of other stuff too, as as they say. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really terrific song. It's it's certainly not you know one of his you know, more famous ones or anything like that. Um, like I said, other than the Trouble No More set, you know, it's really kind of been kind of put aside. And I mean, I would love to hear him. I mean, he's been pulling out "Got to Serve Somebody." Uh, it's you know it's rocked up and stuff. But I mean, man, it would be fun to hear him 
dig out some of these songs sometime. But it seems like other than Gotta Serve Somebody and the Every Grain of Sand, a lot of these are just kind of have been put aside and they were a very specific time and then uh, not, you know, kind of not ever used again. There was that documentary a couple of years ago about the Rolling Thunder review. And I know that, you know, as an obsessive Bob fan, I want to see documentaries about every era of his life because I'm just, I'm there for it. But it would be really interesting to have a documentary of this time, of footage of the shows, of what he was going through. I mean, this is such a specific period with a hard start and a kind of hard stop that I think it would make really fascinating. There must be footage. You know, there, there seems to be all this footage out there that we never know about until they say, oh, yeah, guess what? We have all this footage. I would love to see something about this. This I find that would be fascinating to, to see interviews with him at this time and how he was weathering the reviews and how he was putting this music across. It, that would be just an incredible watch. Yeah, I, I agree. However, it, you know, as a, as a Christian, I may not want to know the ending. You know, uh, it, 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 it's it seems like it started out very high, and then I, I'm not I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna say what Bob's faith is at at present time. Far be it for me to say, but it it, it seems like it, uh, it it fizzled off towards the end there. So mm. it, <laughs> I'd be disappointed in the ending a little bit. But yeah, you're right that that footage of them singing uh, what was that song? Uh, Abraham Martin and John. Oh man, and, I love oh, man. that. I I could watch hours of uh, stuff like that. Just that them two singing together, their voices mesh so well together. Oh, I love that performance so much. I, that is that gives me goosebumps when I hear him sing that. I had that as a t- tinny as hell bootleg off of a cassette, and I I must just rewound that thing a million times. I just love that performance so so much. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. It's, it's, are you, so when you got to these records, kind of winding back to the beginning, when you were get, getting into Bob for the first time, were you, were you getting the album? You said you got greatest hits, uh, after you got unplugged. So they were a little, obviously that's not in order, but did you go in order after that? Or were you just getting them as you could sort of get them? I was bouncing around. I think I bought self portrait because it had like a Rolling Stone on it, which I, <laughs> I, I knew. And then it had the, this is how a 19, 20 year old uh, kid thinks it's got the most amount of songs on it. It must be the best. <laughs> uh, sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, the boxer. I know that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So I, I guess uh, I, as a Christian, were you disappointed that this era didn't continue that, uh, you know, there is a kind of very finite end to it that it's these three records and then that's kind of it. Well, I, I was born in 79, and uh, so it, it, it happened long before I sure, became a sure. fan. But uh, just as an aside, uh, uh, my mom passed a few months ago. I'm and uh, thank you. Uh, one of my prized possessions is uh, a copy of uh, Slow Train Coming that she found, an original on, on vinyl. And uh, I think she wrote in there something along the lines of... Uh, uh, while you were being born, Bob was be busy being born again. So <laughs> I, I just love that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, being disappointed in the, you know, I, I found out about it well after it happened. So it, it was, uh, you know, I, I selfishly kind of look for little clues to say like, Oh, he, he might believe this. He might believe that, but that 
you know the way he is. You just you just don't know. Yeah, yeah. What I do mean, you think? He, he's singing every grain of sand at the end of, of every show, and then in the middle of the tour, he breaks out "Friend of the Devil." So, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I never thought about that. The kind of that's a real A B kind of thing there to 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 do. Uh, just, just as we're wrapping up here, a quick thought. Well, what, what is your feeling about Shot of Love? You said you wished like Saved had gone first. How do you feel like Shot of Love stands up as the, as part of this, you know, kind of unofficial trilogy? Uh, it's got the, the highs are higher, the, the lows are lower, I think. Uh, you know, Property of Jesus isn't a very good song. Uh, some of the other ones in the middle are kind of clunkers, but it also has, uh, in the summertime and, uh, oh, yeah. one of my, one of my favorite songs of Bob's is Every Grain of Sand. Mm-hmm. And it just as just as an aside to to that, the power that Bob has with this language, the the end of Every Grain of Sand on Shot of Love, he says, uh, I'm hanging in the balance of the reality of man. Mm-hmm. In the, the the demo version, like we talked about earlier. I'm hanging in the balance of a perfect finished plan. Perfect finished plan, yeah. Now, as someone who wants, you know, many people to be as Christians as possible, I read perfect finished plan as as he's on board with everything he sang about over the last few few albums. But reality of man sounds kind of different to me. Now, I've never heard a live version of it where he didn't sing uh perfect finish plan. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if you, how you've thought about that, how that's just that little lyric change. And obviously every grain of sand is the last album or the last song of the, the Christian period before he goes on to sing about other things. And that last song in many Bob records is the one that points towards the direction he's going. Like in I'll be your baby tonight is right before Nashville skyline. Right. Sings right country. Yeah. Uh, where are you tonight is right before uh slow train coming yeah. where he's singing about uh, his love for Jesus. So it, that one's always perplexed me. And I, I think about that all the time, how he changed that lyric up. I I love the demo version uh, from every grain of, I, I look, the album version is great. It's It's a masterpiece. But I think the the one on the bootleg series with the barking dog um, is like is some other like God tier level. It's so beautiful, and I really, really, um, I I think perfect finish plan. um, I like that line a lot better than reality of man. I think perfect perfect finish plan has a sort of you know feeling of predestination, uh, and I've always found that kind of fascinating. The idea of you know things being laid out in front of you and there's not much you can do to change things. It's just the way it's going to play out the way it's going to play out. And I always find that to be an interesting idea just on a, on a philosophical level. So I prefer perfect finished plan. And I'm very happy that he is singing that. He sang that version on the rough and rowdy ways tour. Cause I feel like he went back and he's like, mm, I think perfect finished plan is better. And uh, sure. I agree. I agree with him. So, <laughs> Uh, and I just love his vocal performance. And we, we covered the song a while ago. Uh, but yeah, that, uh, that version is just, I just, it's just, I'm like, it's me. It's like one of the, the 10 best things I've ever heard him do. I'd probably put I that agree. on that list that I high up. It's agree. so good. So, um, so, okay. Well, all right. Well, um, that is, that is what can I do for you? Uh, Andrew, 
Thank you so much for, for coming on and, and giving me some, some Sunday schooling. I actually do uh, <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Uh, I don't really do much. I'm on, I'm on the Facebook, but I don't share much about Bob there. Uh, I'm, I'm also on Strava I, where I, uh, I often, uh, title my runs after lyrics of songs I'm listening to on the runs. And of course, Bob takes up a lot of, a lot <laughs> of space on those. So you can find me on those if you want to. All right. So when you say, when you, you're listening, listen, literally listening to Bob, will you go run? Yes. That's yes. interesting. Cause I, don't have any Bob on my running mix. I have a running mix of songs that to me, it's like, I just can't run to him. His songs just are not, they don't work for me to run to. Oh man. You got to put on uh pressing on while you're running. I, I don't know. I don't know. I've tried. I don't know. I, for some reason it's it, uh, that makes yeah. it on it, that. That's one I save for uh, races. No. I, I try not to overdo it, but I save them for the races because I always get, it always gets me going. <laughs> That's great. I never, I don't know. I've tried a couple and I just, they never quite work for me. I always have other stuff on there. I have all the other songs, but no, no Bob on my running mix. That's interesting. Maybe I'll have to give some of those a try. It's thunder on the mountain. Maybe that'd be good. So uh, anyway, thank you so much for, for doing this. Uh, one last question before we, we sign off here. Uh, what album, uh, if you could sit on it, sit down on the sessions on any album of Bob's, what, what one would it be? So, you know, I, I think we all know the character of the mid '60s trilogy that, that Bob Dylan. He kind of had a was playing a part a little bit of the cool hipster guy that was was messing with everybody. And I think we kind of know that guy. But I, I, I'm more interested in like the ones he produced himself under Jack Frost. So mm-hmm. I, I'd probably go with uh, I'd probably go with Love and Theft. I, I want to see old man Bob get cranky with his band. <laughs> when they're not playing something right i i want to i feel like he'd be more of himself on on that where he's producing it himself and he's the guy in charge <laughs> so that that gets my pick i want to see bob get a little annoyed with uh tony when he's not playing the bass right <laughs> i don't know do you think that happens i think he gets annoyed at tony at this point i don't know maybe uh i i do wish there were more i feel every dylan album at this point needs to have one photo of him with the band I'm very disappointed when I get these records and there's no photo of him with the band. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I love those photos. And and to be in to be at one of the sessions would be great to just be like in the background, you know, like there hey look, there's Andrew Schroeder way in the background there behind uh you know, Bucky Baxter or whatever. Like that would just be so cool. Because they just look like such a bunch of ne'er do wells uh that I love it. And I'm like every time they, you know, Rough and Ready Weights doesn't have like an album photo, I'm like, Oh guys, come on, you know, just take one shot of everybody working. That would just be so fun. But uh all right, solid pick. Love and theft, solid, solid pick. So, uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode of uh, Pod Dylan, everybody. You can find back episodes on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, please go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show just like this one. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hustle, George Doherty, Bucky Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. At times when uh, morning in Christianity, Orthodox Judaism, both those were important to you? Yeah. Or is it a broader thing for you? No. Uh, I want to figure out what's happening, you know. And um, uh, so I did look into it all.
did it make life uh, easier? Not necessarily, no. Did it make it clearer? Definitely made it clearer. This is a place you have to work certain things out. What is it you do have to work out? Well, you have to work out where your place is and, and who you are. Uh, but we're all spirit. That's all we are, we're just walking, you know, we're dressed up in a, in a suit of skin. And um, that's, we're going to leave that behind.